You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Jim Dish at the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office. It's good to be with you on Relevant Radio, 950 and 930 AM. Every Saturday, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ, 750 AM. This past Monday, Holy Name Cathedral Rector Father Greg Sackowitz and Mark Parisi talked with Greg Pierce, publisher of ACTA Publications. Their topic, what community organizations in Chicagoland are doing to help during the COVID-19 pandemic. Greg, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning to both of you. Good morning, Greg. Yeah, and it, um, I, I know that we were just talking about churches being closed, uh, but I know you have a couple of comments about that, Greg. Well, first of all, uh, Father Greg, I was on, uh, I, my wife and I uh, participated as much as we could with your Mass at 9 o'clock uh, yesterday uh, from Holy Name Cathedral, mm-hmm. and a couple things struck me about it. First is uh, w- the real lack that I felt was the lack of communion. Mm-hmm. You know, we couldn't we couldn't share communion, which is such a yeah. wonderful thing in the Catholic tradition. When you think about it, when we all come together, one of the things that happens now is that almost everyone goes up and shares mm-hmm. the communion, and we did it spiritually. I know that, but still, it just struck me as the the thing that we lost by not being able to be together. Mm-hmm. The other thing that struck me was the nature. You talked a little bit about the the churches not being a building. And I agree with that, but it's also that the Church is an institution. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'd like to talk a little bit about today in terms of what we're doing with community organizing here in Illinois, because uh, institutions are critical. People, people, This is where people get their strength, their support, their relationships. Uh, and so when all the institutions are unavailable to us, we have to create new institutions, or at least the institutions who, I agree, are the people, have to learn how to stay in touch and and in relationship with each other, even if we cannot, quote-unquote, congregate, which is where the word congregation comes from. Yes. So, so as you know, I work with four uh, community organizations in Illinois, Um, the United Power Fraction and Justice, which is in Cook County, Mm-hmm. But we also have organizations, DuPage United, Lake County United, and the Fox River Valley Initiative. So we have four institutions that are... Now, are they all connected, or, Greg? Are those all connected? They're connected. They're connected. I am the supervisor of all four of them, and they okay. are all connected with a, a national group called the Industrial Areas Foundation, which has been around about 80 years. And one of the things the Industrial Areas Foundation has always done is work... We don't allow individuals to join our organizations. And some people say, well, why wouldn't you do that? Because what we try to do is organize the institutions themselves, mm-hmm. because that's where the people are. And so we... It's individuals have, connected through an institution. They, Of course they are. That's what and it that's is. Their prim, that's their primary relationship. It's not with us. It's with their congregation or, or other institutions, other, other organizations that they belong to. And in the United States, of course, institutions themselves have been under attack, you know, and uh, we have people uh, dropping out of uh, bowling leagues. We have people not going to church. We have people going. Lots of people have lost 
that sense of institution. And so what, what we have in Illinois is just about 100 institutions in those four counties mm-hmm. total. And they have banded together over the last 20 years or so to deal with a lot of issues in the community. And, and I don't want to talk about them today. We've talked about them in the past, and we'll talk about them in the future. But right now, there's only one issue, and that is this pandemic that we're all facing, and especially in Illinois. We're facing, and we're next on, it looks like we're next on the you know, hot spot. They say in the next uh, 10 to 14 days, the numbers are going to spike mm-hmm. tremendously with the hospitals just mm-hmm. will not be able to handle the load. Greg, what, so, need, what, needs, yeah, what needs are you seeing out there, and how is your organization helping to meet some of those needs? Well, I'd like to talk about that today as much as, as we have time. Um, the first thing is, you know, our kind of organizing is based on what we call relational organizing. So it's not that we say everybody who agrees with this issue come and, you know, come downtown and we'll have a demonstration about it. We spend a lot of time one on one people one on one. Father Greg, you know about this from our time together at uh, St. Mary of the Woods. Mm-hmm. That we spend a lot of time just doing one on one relational meetings with people. Now, historically, it's all been face to face. Well, guess what? We mm. can't do it face to face right now. Exactly. That's right. So, so what we are doing right now with our institutions is training them, teaching them how to do relational meetings over a phone over Zoom or one of those kind of uh, uh, things where you can see other people, uh, either in small groups, but even one-to-one. So we're trying to teach people, and it's a different skill to do it, you know, on the phone. It's, but on the other hand, people are really open to being talked to right now. And so mm-hmm. what we're trying to teach our institutions is, okay, you have, first of all, you have members. Are you in touch with your members? How, how do you stay in touch with them? How do you do more than just a perfunctory how you do it? See, I think, you know, Greg, you hit on something important about staying in touch. I have received in the last week with people now homebound a record number of emails. I spend spend four hours yesterday returning emails, which I never thought would happen. But, you know, people with kind remarks about the televised mass, uh, the radio work we're doing, and very complimentary saying thank you, you thank you, thank you, but... It's that whole thing about staying in touch. Uh, so you go, so I say, sorry to interrupt you there, Greg. No, no, it's fine. It's, it's, I, it's, I, I always interrupt you, interrupted ahead, you. <laughs> so go ahead, go ahead, Greg. Okay. Well, what I'm saying is that uh, it, it can't just all come through the pastor. I mean, you're a great guy. Oh, thank but you. But you can't handle it. Yeah. You and it's and it's not even good that if you're the only one to handle it. It's like you're the spoke of the wheel, and everybody else is isolated. We need to get people on the edges of the wheel talking to one another. And so, for example, on uh, Saturday morning at 9.30, we're doing a special training over Zoom uh, with I don't know how many people. One of our meetings, we had uh, 300 people on, on, on the uh, Zoom meeting. Wow. Um, and so, but we're doing it by Zoom so we can see people and they can see us, but also we can teach them and role play with them even. How do you make a call like this? A lot of people don't feel comfortable. They they don't want to you know bother people and want things like that. And so we're we're doing the trainings with people. That's the first thing we're doing to teach them uh, how to stay in relationships. First of all, with their existing members. Greg, uh, I was wondering before you get into the next part of what we were talking about. Uh, how has this changed your life? With the life with Kathy, uh, your family. Wow. Well, 
Well, everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story. And uh, part of my story is our daughter, Abby, uh, had moved to uh, Brooklyn uh, to pursue a career. uh, And uh, she came down with a mild case of this. Oh, wow. Wow. And, of course, we couldn't be near her. We couldn't help her. Mm -hmm. We just had to isolate in in place in Brooklyn in a a little tiny bedroom that she shared with two other women who didn't want to catch the virus, of course. Exactly. But now she's uh, she's she's done. She she feels much better. Uh, but of course, she was never tested, so it's not a hundred percent sure she had it because it was. A but did case. Abby isolate in her room for fourteen yes. days? Yes. Wow. Yes, she did. And her roommates brought her food. You got to wow. do it. I mean, <clears throat> if Kathy and I, or if either one of us gets sick, the one who's sick is going to isolate in the bedroom, and the the other one is going to take care of her. I do know <laughs> people then, that are doing that right now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Greg, I wanted to uh, give you one more uh, idea for your uh, Sunday Masses on television. Mm-hmm. While we can't do communion, Kathy and some of her friends came up with an idea for after the Mass. They had a little coffee clutch where each one of them got a cup of coffee and got on the phone and talked to each other. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't have communion, but you could have a coffee clutch afterwards. Which That's isn't such fellowship. a bad idea. Fellowship. And by the way, uh, I go many years with your wife, Kathy, who was a great, wonderful teacher, the same yeah, Woods Grammar School. She was outstanding. I know she's even a sub today, but uh, can I go back, Greg, with you 30, yep. 35 years and your family 28 years when I arrived at St. Mary of the Woods? Yep. And you we came do. over. And you came over. And those me. are the relationships that we have to hold on to. Mm-hmm. We have uh-huh. to, I've talked to people I haven't talked to in years. A guy called me out of the blue. I haven't talked to him in two or three years. Yeah. We talked for an hour. It was really? so important. Yeah. So. If I could just get back real quick to the sure, uh, what the other thing that the community organizing, what we have to do right now. There's four tasks that all, uh, all of us, but including our institutions, including our churches, have to do. One is they have to have somehow provide direct service and maybe even financial help for the most vulnerable in our immediate community, including the homeless, the undocumented, maybe even the unemployed. So there's pressure on the on the local congregations for this because that's where people come for help. The second thing is we have to support, continue to support getting at the root causes of some of these problems. When this is all over, our work just begun begins. Exactly. We've got to make sure this never happens again, at least not the way it's happened now. Yeah. The third thing is we have to, and this is important to uh, all churches, is to ensure the financial stability and cash flow of our member institutions. Yeah. So. We've got to figure out ways that people can give online, you know, help them learn how to do that. And we also have to look at ways of lowering uh, our expenses as, as congregations. And so we, we're uh, organizing a thing in Illinois called the Community Purchasing Alliance. It's a part of a national organization where churches and other groups can, can purchase, you know, a lot of different services through, by, by, uh, by joining together and having a larger uh, pool from which they can negotiate. So we're working on that. And then the final thing is we also have to figure out ways that our congregations and churches can creatively and effectively support, encourage, and recognize those on the front lines of fighting the virus. Those people need our help as well. So those are the four uh, things that we're focusing on right now. We're trying to raise some money to do that. Uh, The money will go through the congregations to do those four things. Now, as I find, Greg, uh, very interesting is that the things you just mentioned in light of the pandemic, we have moved into uncharted waters. So we're not dealing with parameters or points of reference that we can go to. This is all new. 
This is well, Mark all said new. It's a, it's, a, it's a new, uh, what did you call it, Mark? A new, a new, uh, normal. new normal. New normal. Yeah, it's a new normal. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it, it, we're not going to go back to what, the way things used to be. No, we can't. Uh, I, I read a good article that says, you know, will we ever shake hands again? We'll, I think we'll be uh, a little bit leery about hugging and things that we took right. for granted in terms of that human touch. And like I was talking to Mark off the air, you notice I've been walking down the street, you know, um, very little, but to get out. And people certainly keeping social distancing, but they don't even want to look at you and say hi. Uh, you know what? I, you know what Kathy and I do? What? We do that, and we make sure we're the first ones to say hi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they when you're the, the first one to say hi, you get a ninety percent return. If you're waiting for them to be the first ones, you don't. And so, part of our job maybe is task. You got to be the people that say hi first. It's always good to hear from Greg Pierce. Next up for Father Greg and Mark Teresi was Kay Metres, author of the book, After the Fear, Come the Gifts, Breast Cancer's Nine Surprising Blessings. Also joining the conversation was Bridget Grace, one of the narrators of the audio version of that book. So Kay and Bridget, welcome to the program this morning. Are you with us, ladies? Yes, yes, I am. This is Kay and Bridget. Well, Bridget, we go back, oh my gosh, with... Uh, <laughs> Bridget, I've known you along with Mark Treacy here. Your husband, Chuck, taught me in the college seminary when I was a freshman back in the fall of 1971. Communications. Communications, 49 years ago. I was never part of his theater productions. I was not into uh, acting. So no theater. And Chuck is a great actor. And so I met you. We go back almost 50 years, Bridget. But that's amazing because you're 39 years old. (laughs) That's exactly right. And it, uh, so this is marvelous to be with both of you. And uh, so, Kay, I just find the title of your book, After the Fear Come the Gifts, Breast Cancer's Nine Surprising Blessings. Now, Greg Pierce, you're still with us, correct? I, I am. Okay, I don't am. go away, Greg. So it, uh, I find that title of your book fascinating, Kay. Say more about that. Uh, Greg, well, when I, re- uh, when I had breast cancer a few years back, of course, like most people who get a cancer diagnosis, it was scary and surprising. There was no cancer of any kind in my family. But I had the usual routine, the surgery, the chemotherapy with the hair falling out, the radiation, all of that. And after I'd been through that, I began to notice that I had was somewhat different. My personality had changed some. I experienced life a little bit differently. And so I started writing down, trying to be clear about what exactly had changed. Uh, I mean, I know all adversity produces some kind of transformation. And when you're going through it, all you see is the negative. All you see is, you know, how awful this experience is. Mm -hmm. But afterward, and this may be true now with what our country is going through, after you're through the worst of it, you begin to reflect and say, wait a minute. In my case, some of the changes I noticed were things like I was more willing to ask for help. I uh, valued other people giving to me and um, more willing to surrender, I guess you would say, surrender control, which had always been pretty important to me. I like to feel like my life was in control, and I realized it wasn't, it isn't, and it probably never will be. Um, there were a lot of changes I noticed. My extreme introversion began to loosen up a little because I needed other people. 
I needed to talk to other people. I needed to hear their stories, all of that. So there were a lot of changes that I noticed, and I thought, I wonder if my sisters, there are legion of breast cancer survivors, as you probably know. Mm -hmm. And I was considering them my sisters, and I don't actually in my biological family have any sisters, but I thought we're all in this together. I wonder if it would be helpful to someone else to write down some of the things that I noticed. So that's that was the uh, the reason that I wrote this book, and it's a personal book addressed to my sisters. So, Kay, part of your background, which I'm fascinated with, is you're an English instructor, you're a hospital chaplain. It's almost like those two uh, skill sets all of a sudden came together for you in expressing yourself in this illness. Yeah, I think that's right. I do enjoy writing. I enjoy reading. I spent a lot of time in the library reading about other people's cancer experiences, and it made me realize we have a lot in common, both men and women, with what we go through with something like this. It just really shakes us up. Now, along with what Kay is talking about, Bridget, how do you connect with Kay with your own story? Well, my friend Julie and I, Julie Halpern, we're both professional actresses, and we were looking for a book to record. And so I called our friend Greg, the other Greg, Greg, and Greg Pierce, Pierce, right, and uh, asked for a suggestion. And he suggested, um, after the fear come the gifts, and Julie and I read it, and we just loved it. We thought it was very different as a self-help book, and we thought it was really effective. So we chose to... Uh, record that, and now it's up on audible.com. Now, Bridget, people will probably don't realize you're a Sarah Siddons scholarship winner, an established actress, particularly in the Chicago area. You had a film and TV show this year. Um, could you read an excerpt from the book? Yes. Um, I have some excerpts prepared here. I li- I'm it's only an it. hour show, Bridget. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have to go to break in one minute, Bridget. Okay, Greg, I can't hear what Bridget is saying, but I'd love to hear it. Can okay. you turn the mic on her? I'm going. I'm going to read a part that shows uh, case humor because I think humor, no matter what, even with what's happening to us today, you see everybody sending funny things. So <clears throat> this is um, this is the part um, in my experience. A combination of patience and humor can make an enormous difference. I may not be able to hurry the recovery process, but I can laugh at my mistakes, at least on a good day. My husband and I have developed a betting system to lighten the situation. We call it you owe me a quarter solution. When a disagreement on a point or facts arises, whoever is proven wrong has to cough up a quarter. So far... I'm only down 50 cents. (laughs) And it goes on. I think there's, at a time like this, really at all time, you can't lose the gift of humor. In fact, one, I heard a good one lately was, uh, I'm having a uh, quarantine party tonight. No one's invited. uh, (laughs) Greg, you know, there's a beautiful quote here um, from Dr. Janet Barzik. Kay's journey eloquently summarizes what so many of my patients with serious illness struggle with on their emotional and psychological. It it focuses on 
emotional, psychological needs, which oftentimes get buried in the management of pressing medical needs. Greg, how did you find Kay, and how do people find this book? Well, first of all, Kay found me. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and she brought the book to me, and I liked the book right away. But the one thing I did say to her, and, and Kay, you could speak to this as well, I said, it's not so much the details of what happened to you that people care about. It's what they are going through and what you learned that may be helpful to them. Mm-hmm. You could certainly get the book uh, you know, on Amazon and most bookstores if they're still open. You can also go to actofpublications.com and buy the book online or call 800-397-2282. That number once again, Greg. 800-397-2282. And it's capital A-C-T-A, actofpublications.com, you said? Correct. And the name of the book, After the Fear, Come the Gifts. Breast Cancer's Nine Surprising Blessings. Yes. So maybe Kay could speak to that. Sure, that'd be great, Kay. Kay, you're in the middle of a thought before we had to go to break, and it, uh, in terms of just... Yes. So, you, you, Kay, you've got the floor. <laughs> okay. Do you have any specific questions? Yeah, in fact, yeah, I do have one, and that is uh, about 25 years ago, I was on a retreat, and I was asking the people going around the room, name one of your gifts or blessings in your life. And one guy said, one of my gifts is I'm a good teacher. Someone else said I'm a good speaker. Someone else said I'm a good athlete. And a woman said, a gift in my life has been my depression. And we all looked. And I said, could you please say more about that? And she said, my depression has made me more dependent upon God. And I always remembered that. And so when I saw the title of your book, After the Fear Come the Gifts, Breast Cancer's Nine Surprising Blessings, I thought back to that retreat 25 years ago and that woman's gift was her depression. So maybe along those lines, I've never seen a book title talk about breast cancer's nine surprising blessings, how you've kind of flipped it. And, you, and it's the old thing is, in some ways, you're turning um, lemon into lemonade. Yes, well, the wise woman who spoke during your retreat about her depression being a great gift, there's a lot of wisdom in that. I I think one of the things that her depression or perhaps anybody with a serious illness experiences is they need to learn some self-compassion instead of judging ourselves Mm -hmm. for what we're going through Mm -hmm. or our anger about it or fear, whatever it is to learn to take better care of ourselves. And in doing that, we increase our compassion for the whole human community. You know what I might do, Greg, if, you, if, that would, if we have time, is I'll read a paragraph, the first paragraph, actually, from this book, which is quite a personal book, but uh, the introduction and the, the foreword of the book goes like this. My sisters, this is what... 14th century mystic and theologian Julian of Norwich wrote in her book, Revelations of Divine Love, after suffering from a life-threatening illness. She wrote, all will be well, all will be well, all manner of things will be well. Julian's sentiment may stand in direct contradiction to the way you remember feeling when first hearing the diagnosis, you have breast cancer. 
It was not at all how I felt either. It is not the usual response to the terrible news that you have a disease that may be life-threatening. This disease changes us in many ways, large and small. But I came to learn that the changes in our lives are not all negative. There are moments for all of us that are terrifying and painful. But as surprising as it seems, I now see that the discoveries we make about ourselves in adversity in confronting cancer ought rightfully to be viewed as gifts. I have changed and grown through the struggle, not in spite of it, but because of it. I suspect we all have. Sharing my experience is my gift to you, my sisters. So that's the first paragraph of this little personal book, and it goes into some of my story. But my hope is that it resonates with a lot of women. And some men have told me it was like they felt going through their prostate cancer. Um, it's, It's a human experience. Well, here's the thing. What you're talking about there, Kay, uh, address is that, it to women. It's really for men and women as we go through pain and struggle. It, interesting as you were, were reading that paragraph, uh, Rabbi uh, Harold Kushner some years ago wrote a book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Yes. And, and one of the chapters he talks about when something bad happens to you, something tragic, the normal question is to ask, Why me? Good question. But he says the question should be, so what am I going to do about it? And uh, I think you've done something about it in getting Bridget to do the audio version of the uh, audiobook version, and you wrote a book. And you keep talking about my sisters to my sisters. You're going beyond yourself to the wider community. Guess what? This book can be available to anybody who suffered any kind of a traumatic illness because all of these gifts. I'll pick two. Learning to ask for help. Okay, you sound like uh, you said you're a control freak. So am I. But then all, <laughs> but then all of a sudden you have to ask. Maybe that I should have, but any soften that a little bit. But anyway, um, <laughs> the idea is you got to learn to ask for help, and there's no weakness in that. And, and and what's interesting about that, Greg, I think, is that people like to be asked for help. It's as if we're giving them a gift when we need them. Yeah, in fact, Kubler Ross, when she did, she did a book on death and dying with young people. One of the things they said with the siblings was if they could help that young person who was terminal in the process of their dying, that there was a healthiness to that, and they mm-hmm. felt part of that process. Now, Bridge, I wanted to ask you, in your journey, can you share a paragraph? or an excerpt from the book that really impacted your life in terms of, boy, did that resonate with me. Yeah, and you know something, Mark? Uh, This book, this is what impressed me most about the book, that it's so accessible. Mm -hmm. And you pointed out, you know, to everybody, really. And this is just a very short paragraph about uh, one of the gifts. Our souls are forged by the refining fire of illness. It is just another respect in which cancer gives us a gift. Perfectionism is out. Mm. Oh, boy. Uh, Contentment is in. It is a gift to be resilient in the face of grief and loss and to rejoice just in being 
alive. Hmm. And I just think it... it it's powerful. It, yes. Yeah, it speaks powerful. to all of us. Yeah, Lovely. It, it, yeah. And I think that when you have something that's life-threatening, you can say, oh, God, why me? But here's an interesting perspective. We can talk about in times of tragedy, in times of loss, in times of illness, oh, God, why me? Mm-hmm. But also another look at, way of looking at it would be is um, beside God, why me? God, why not me? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so it's just yeah. like, you know, for example, when you win, um, I, I, example was given to me once, when you win something big, you say, oh, thank you, God, and, you know, thank you, God, and, um, but when was the last time something tough happened to you, and you say, thank you, God? Yeah, you know, um, sometimes it's very hard to walk out on our faith, but mm-hmm. we know we have to do it, and with me, um, I don't know. You just get some kind of a gift of resilience. I mean, you really do. Where you think, I can do this. After my experience, I was on my feet doing a show two weeks later. Yes. And a friend of mine said, uh, how are you doing? And I said, I'm really doing well. She said, that's baloney. You couldn't possibly be doing well. <laughs> but I was. Mm-hmm. And she found it very, and she called me later and apologized. She said, I couldn't believe what you were saying. You know, but... Mm-hmm. Um, well, I married yeah. a tough Irish woman, ah, so I know what I, <laughs> I hear you. I hear oh, you. Mary, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that is, that's, uh, and I think the thing is, with your book, Kay, and maybe can even Greg jump in for a moment, you saw something in that book, Greg, that maybe even Kay didn't see. Tell our listeners once again, we were going to put the book into publication, but the aspect you said to Kay, that was, you said this about 10 minutes ago, not so much we did to you, but how it helps others. Say that again, Greg. Well, the, the, the whole point was that people aren't as interested in what Kay's actual experience was, what happened Tuesday morning, what happened Wednesday morning. What, she, what they're interested in is her lessons that she learned and has digested and processed and prayed about and then is able to say in a very beautiful way. So, you know, we designed this book. It's even designed to be a gift meant to be given to somebody who just was diagnosed with cancer or is just coming through it. And uh, I urge your readers, if they know anybody in this situation, to either uh, go to actapublications.com and order it, or call 800-397-2282. The number once again, Greg. Or go Mm -hmm. to audible.com and get Bridget and uh, Julie's wonderful reading of the book. Again, give us that phone number for Acta Publications. It's 800 397 2282. As Dr. K. Metris, M E T R E S, after the fear come the gifts. Breast cancer's nine surprising blessings. You can hear that entire conversation by going to radiotv.archicago.org. That's radiotv.archicago.org. Stick around. In a moment, we'll hear from our friends at Catholic Charities. Back in a moment. There's really nothing quite like participating in a virtual event, and Catholic Charities has a great one for you to consider being a part of this spring. The 2020 Blossoms of Hope will take place on Sunday, April 26th. Attendees will log in free of charge from their laptops or desktops at home. Instantly, they will be connected to hundreds of the most compassionate people in Chicago. Blossoms of Hope will feature powerful speakers, moving tributes, and enjoyable online games, all dedicated to honoring those who have been lost to suicide. It will be the annual gathering of those who believe in and support Catholic Charities Lost Program. 
that has been working for over 40 years to help survivors of suicide deal with the grieving process and move forward with hope. Experience how a virtual event can bring people together in the most inspiring way. To learn more, call 312-948-6797 or visit catholiccharities.net slash lossbrunch. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 9.50 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. For 41 years, Catholic Charities Loss Program has offered hope and healing to survivors of suicide. This year's annual gathering of the Loss community is going to be a groundbreaking virtual event. Loss founder and director, Father Charles Ruby, joined Marie Jochum and Bridget Murphy with details of this year's Blossoms of Hope event. So on the phone with us this morning is Father Charles T. Ruby, and Father Ruby is the founder and director for 41 years now of Catholic Charities Loss Program, which helps people who have survived the suicide of a loved one. Under Father Ruby's direction, Loss has helped thousands of family members and friends of people who've died from suicide. Loss is recognized nationwide and even internationally as an effective, comprehensive program that helps people in all stages of the grieving process so they can acknowledge the pain, celebrate the life of the person who's died, and continue forward as much as they can with peace and hope. Father Ruby is truly a hero and a mentor to so many people at Catholic Charities, including Marie and myself, mm -hmm. and we are really honored to have this discussion with him this morning. Welcome, Father Ruby. Thank you very much. It's my honor to be here, uh, Bridget and Marie. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a wonderful journey for me to uh, these 41 years working with the Lost Program. Um, and maybe I'll just give you a little history of how we started. Um, uh, three couples had met at uh, a, uh, an organization called Compassionate Friends, which is an international grief support group for parents who have lost a child. And um, these three couples each had lost a child to suicide, and they formed a natural bond, so they really they bonded together, and they felt that while Compassionate Friends was helping them grieve the loss of their child, uh, their grief was a little different from other parents who had lost a child to SIDS or uh, cancer or drowning or whatever, sure. other forms of death. Um, and they felt that there were some other issues that they had to grapple with. Um, and so they approached uh, one of the couples had a sister working here at the Catholic Charities, and um, so they they approached us, and uh, I was director of our mental health program at the time, and so Bishop Conway asked me if I would meet with these three couples, and I did, 
uh, and they and then we began meeting at this one couple's home up in Hoffman Estate and began publicizing uh, the program to the New World and, and other uh, forms of communication. And we also, um, almost a year later, we began a meeting on the south side. So we had these two meetings going, and it was just anyone could come. You know, we, we, through the publication, people would call and, we began keeping their names, phone numbers, and so forth. Um, and we began a mailing list. Uh, and I would, uh, I, the early days, I would send out a letter uh, with an article on suicide. Uh, and informing people that the meetings would be at 7 o'clock at this location on the north side and this location on the south side. And that became... Uh, that became a, a standard way of, of communicating with the people, and uh, one of my one of my dreams would all was always to uh, hire at some point to hire a survivor, uh, and about I suppose it was about ten years after the group started that uh, Trace Gump, who uh, was Participating in the in the South Side meeting, she was a, a, a school teacher, grammar school teacher, parochial schools here in the Archdiocese, and uh, so I approached her, asked her if she'd ever think of coming to work at the Catholic Charities. Because at that point, they said I could hire someone, so I hired her, and she became the voice. Uh, and she, you know, people would call her. Uh, who are grieving the loss of a loved one and suicide, and she could, I, I could never say this, but she could say, I know what you're going to, because I I lost my son to suicide, and I could never say that because I've sure. never lost a loved one. That's, I, I think that's a really powerful thing to be able to connect with folks. I know you do that so well. Father Ruby, not only are you a priest, you're also a social worker, which yeah. I'm telling our listeners, you already know those things about yourself. Um, <laughs> and you have, you know, a lot of other social workers helping you now, how it's grown from the beginnings. Would you share with us a little bit about what are the various programs and support that LOSS provides for folks who may be able to benefit from, from hearing what it is that you all um, offer to the community? Well, we, we, uh, we've grown from, we now have somewhere around 15 or 16 meetings around the, the Chicagoland area. Uh, we're in the Gary Diocese. We are uh, in the Joliet Diocese. There's three meetings there, and we are in Rockford um, uh, with one meeting up in the Rockford Diocese. Uh, and the, the groups are structured. Uh, the leadership of the uh, of the groups. There are usually one or two facilitators who themselves are survivors, uh, and they have gone through some special training group training, group dynamics, and so forth under the leadership of Lorraine Bodner. And there also at every meeting there is a, uh, a master-level licensed clinician mm-hmm. uh, who is there to provide uh, some technical information regarding mental illness, suicide, and so forth. Um, and uh, so the, the meetings are, what we do with the meetings, we provide a safe environment in which people can grieve the loss of a loved one from suicide. Um, and, and that's the important thing. 
Suicide is a different form of death. Um, people who die, who lose a loved one to cancer or heart disease or diabetes, they know why their loved one died. Uh, but with suicide, uh, it's not that apparent. Uh, there's a lot of people walking around uh, in our society who suffer from mental illness, bipolar disorder, depression, chronic depression, whatever it is. And the survivors ask, you know, why was it my loved one and not this other person? Uh, why does my loved one die? That's a real critical question because it's really not, you know, there's no answer to it. Um, and there's a lot of misconceptions out there about suicide. For example, a lot of people think it's a cowardly act. It's a selfish act. It's neither one of those. It's an act of desperation. It is a, a very clear statement that I can no longer handle the, the pain in my life, and this is the only way to end it, is to take my life. And so survivors are uh, have to struggle with that. Uh, they blame themselves. Um, and, you know, one of the questions we all, I always ask is, did the, your loved one leave a note? And most of, most uh, people who complete suicide do not leave notes. And the notes that I've read over these years, thousands of them, uh, they never answer uh, why uh, the person is taking their life. It, it really exonerates family members or spouses or whatever. Um, don't blame yourself. Uh, you'll be better off without me. Um, and I, I maintain this, that if, a person who completes suicide, if they had an inkling of the pain that their love, that their suicide is going to cause their loved one, it never would have done it. This is not, this is not a retribution, an act of retribution. This is an act of desperation. Uh, and people, survivors, come to grips with that. It's a long, long journey that they're on, but they do uh, come to grips with um, learning to live and, and to enjoy happiness, to enjoy. Um, uh, success uh, to enjoy, enjoy pleasure, uh, but it's a long journey, and they're never going to get over this. Uh, our goal is to help them learn to live with it. Mm-hmm. That is the goal of law. Got it. Um, Father and, Ruby, can I interrupt yeah. just for a second? Because I uh, this course, is Bridget. Yeah. I think you said something really important, and for for people listening who. Um, you know, know people who may have been through this, you know, the attitudes and the language have really evolved around um, death by suicide. And that's one of the first things I learned is the language that is, we, we try not to say someone committed suicide, we say they, they died by suicide, because yeah. it, it isn't a rational, or you'll, you'll say this better than I will, it's, it's not a rational choice that someone has made. It might be rational in terms of the pain they're feeling. Um, but can you talk a little bit about that language and, and then sure. also how the church's attitudes toward suicide and, and just our general um, public attitudes have changed? Sure, of course. Um, yeah, the language is very important, you know, to, so they, not to commit suicide because, you know, people commit a crime or they commit a sin. It's neither one of those. So they died from suicide or died by suicide. And it's very important to use that kind of language. Um, and, uh, you know, years ago, this goes, this is many, many, many years ago, the Church had a very uh, malignant attitude towards suicide. They refused 
uh, to have a mass of Christian burial. It, you could not, if you took your life, you could not be buried in consecrated grounds in the cemetery. The church has really changed all of that. Unfortunately, uh, I, I've been met with a number a number of instances that I should never have it should never have encountered where people have gone to their parish priest to ask for prayers for their loved one or uh, for the family, for themselves, just during this critical time of their lives. And one of the first words out of the priest's mouth was, well, you know your loved one is in hell. Um, and that's, a, that's an awful statement. Number one, it's not true. Uh, my, my belief is God, God judges us negatively when we act out of malice. People who complete suicide are not acting out of malice. They're acting out of their own desperation. And so to tell someone that their loved one is in hell is erroneous. And this is certainly obviously very, very upsetting. Sure. Um, a, a few weeks ago, I had a, a, a conversation on the phone, phone conversation with this lady whose sister had taken her life. And um, she was afraid to call, uh, to make arrangements for the funeral. She was uh, reluctant to call the the parish. Her sister lived outside the diocese, and she, uh, but she was afraid to call the priest or the pastor for fear of what his reaction was going to be. And I volunteered. I said, well, I'll call him if you'd like. Uh, and uh, I said, or your pastor could call him if you'd like, uh, so that you would be off the hook. And um, so we had a long conversation. She told me about her sister and her sister's family and so forth. And I got an email later on that same day uh, from this woman, uh, and she said uh, she, had, she herself had called the parish and talked to the pastor to make the funeral arrangements for her sister, and she said the pastor could not have been nicer. He was very pastoral, very empathic, and he welcomed the whole. So this was one thing, but I thought that's the impression people have. They're afraid to call their priest. Yes. And, and uh, so what I've, I've been trying for the last probably 15 or 20 years to get up to the seminary to, uh, to give a talk on mental illness and suicide. And uh, the people I've talked to, the presidents of the, of the seminary, said, oh, it's a good idea. I'll get back to it. I've never heard from any of them. But now we're, I'm slated to, uh, along with Emily and Father Larry Seldon, we're going to speak to uh, the people who are about to be ordained priests. And Amazing. Give them, uh, an idea. And then I got another call up to the seminary from, to address the whole seminary um, family, the, the faculty, as well as the school body. You can learn more about Catholic Charities and its vital ministries by going to catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. Now let's turn to Ryan Lentz and our Fully Alive program for our final highlight. Ryan visited with Sister Pat Bergen, and Sister Kathy Sherman from the Congregation of the Sisters of St. Joseph. They discussed caring for God's creation and the 50th anniversary of Earth Day in light of COVID-19. Good morning to both of you. Good morning to you, Ryan. Thanks so much for, for being with us. First of all, how are the, the two of you holding up in the midst of everything going on with COVID-19 and, and the shelter in place that we're all experiencing? Well, actually... Oh, go ahead, Kat. Uh, we're actually doing pretty well. We've had many Zoom prayers, Zoom community sharing the state of the heart to help people name what's going on and move from fear to comfort, to call it 
to consolation, to sending their love out. Yes, and just to to add to the, to that, Ryan, um, one of the things that's been a little difficult for uh, for us as sisters of Saint Joseph is usually we would be out there on the front lines, and and so we're not really able to do that in exactly the same way right now. But um, but we have found ways, as Pat mentioned, we've been offering these morning and prayer morning and afternoon prayer sessions online with Zoom on a Zoom conference, and last week we made. Uh, uh, sandwiches for the homeless for the for the shelter in uh, at Quinn Center in Maywood. So we we try to find ways that we can continue to minister even in these difficult times. Yeah, yeah. For the first part of our show, we were uh, talking um, with Noreen Russo from Catholic Charities. She's also involved with an initiative that's happening up in Wilmette with uh, Saints Joseph and, and Francis Xavier, where they've they've done this whole virtual accompaniment ministry that is about, mm. you know, reaching out to elders and, and people um, who are isolated and, you know, and talking before and, and just hearing you all talk too, it's like, I think it's, it's, it's such a wonderful and powerful reminder of the importance of community and especially a yes. faith community in our lives. And when, Absolutely. when this, when kind of this sense of normal uh, gets taken away, my goodness, don't we, don't we seek out that comfort and we seek out that connection that we often take for granted in other circumstances, don't we? Yeah, that's right. so absolutely true, Ryan. And I think that's what we've really experienced on these calls because we usually have about 70, 70 people or so that are on this morning prayer and about 45 in the afternoon. And it's, it's amazing the sense of community that, that has occurred because we have that ability to connect uh, with one another, and it certainly makes us appreciative of uh, technology. Yeah. That, that... And people are gathering from Australia, Germany, all over the states. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's a world community. <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of makes me think, I mean, certainly there's no way to talk about what's going on with, with COVID-19 and, you know, certainly just the, the loss of life, the, the people who are sick. I mean, there's no way to, to talk about this anything other than, than a tragedy. But I, I do hope that maybe a small silver lining that comes out of this is that, you know, come, moving forward, whatever this new normal will be once we get beyond kind of this, this mm-hmm. acute period, that it will renew that sense of community that we're called to and, and can hopefully move us forward in a way where we can reclaim that in our lives in a much more powerful and, and, and direct way, because mm-hmm. I just, I hope that we have a memory of that, you know, that that's what, yes. that's ultimately what's going to sustain us through this. Yes. And I, and one of the things that I've, I've thought about a lot is that the normal ways that we connect in person or being able to hug people, the people we love, all those things that have really kind of been different in these last weeks, but how in that it's, it's, called upon a deeper, to realize that we have a deeper connection that's beyond even physical presence with one another, that there is something deeper, that that God's love is so deep in us that it allows us to connect in deep ways, even when we can't be physically present with another. Yeah. Well, and and maybe that's a perfect segue to the next thing I wanted to ask both of you, which is, you know, I I mentioned that the, the, the start of this segment that I invited you on in the context of talking about care for God's creation. And, mm-hmm. you know, certainly that I know that's a big part of your order's charism. And and when we talk about connectedness, right, you know, that not only are we connected to one another, we're connected to God, but we are correct, yeah. connected to all of creation. So, yeah. um, you know, how what what have been some reflections that you all have had about about that aspect of your of your spirituality and your charism, especially in light of what all has been happening these days? Mm-hmm. Well, Kathy, I think do you want to start. You want me to start, Pat? Go ahead. Sure. Okay. Uh, well, 
our spirituality, our charism is really uniting all neighbors with God and one another. And many years ago, we we really uh, broke that open to know that when we talk about the dear neighbor, which is what we talk about, that we don't mean just the human community, but we mean all of creation as, as the dear neighbor. And so we've been really um, about that that mission for, for many, many years. Actually, about 30 years ago, we really started delving into that more seriously. And so... Um, so it, it just really shapes how we pray and how we look at things by realizing that we really are one sacred community. And, and certainly something like what's happening now brings that to the fore. Yeah, yeah. And I even think about just how, like, in, in this situation where, out of necessity, we've all kind of just had to press pause on everything, how even our even our natural environment is is responding in a very profound way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I was mm-hmm. I was just reading an article this morning that talked about how in Italy, fish have returned to canals mm. in Venice because yes. the activity has just come to a stop. And in places that we traditionally think of as having very significant air pollution, you know, the the air quality has has just dramatically improved. And it's it's again, it's you know, we can't we can't say that that COVID nineteen is like a good a good thing by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. But it's just it's for me, it's really caused me to reflect on my gosh, like you know. As someone who tries to be connected to these things, I still kind of forget, you know, and, and you know, we yeah. just take take as a given our, you know, just the busyness of our lives and all of the things that come with it. Um, and I think the earth is, is saying something really profound to us in this moment as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that earth is really telling us something. Uh, in the late 80s, those who studied these things said if humans got out of the way, the earth could heal. And so we couldn't do that. And so actually, this virus has forced us to get out of the way. Mm. So all of creation could begin healing. Mm -hmm. And I was reading yesterday um, something, probably maybe in the same uh, source you were reading too, Ryan, but one of the, the first line was something, Earth, Earth is given a chance to breathe, has been given a chance to breathe a bit. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I was kind of with the paradox of, isn't this something, you know, this very virus that's kind of taking humans' breath away is actually giving breath back to the planet. And what, what's, what's God's invitation in, in that? Could we learn to breathe together? Can we learn to breathe and care for one another together so that everything has breath and life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of times, again, it's... How often do we get stuck in a very kind of scarcity mindset? We we think of, oh gosh, there's just not enough, there's not enough time, there's not enough money, there's not enough resources to go around. And and in a situation where we need everybody on board if we're gonna get through this, right? You know, we're all mm-hmm. in this together. And and certainly with the environmental crisis that we've been dealing with for a very long time, that's that's always been the case. But I think that one of the challenges we've had, right, is that there hasn't been the will to to take decisive action that it becomes such a politicized mm-hmm. issue and and in this moment where we're going to need to think in a very big way about like how we how we continue to care for one another i you know it just it kind of goes along with everything we've been saying right is maybe there's an invitation to 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 start this conversation anew in a way that mm-hmm. that really is about yeah how we how we create a a future that for for our, for ourselves for our children for our grandchildren um, that that really mm-hmm. is a reflecting of our values and and who we want to be as a society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, 
This is the first time that I can remember that the whole world is called into the solidarity movement, uh, truly a Lent where we had to give up lots of what we would rather do in order to save the health of the planet. I mean, the humans as well as the whole planet. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a cosmic Lent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and when you, mm, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Ryan, when you were talking, I was thinking of, you know, the, 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 the scripture passage where Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so, Jesus, I don't believe, was talking about just the human community, but I'm coming that all of life may flourish, you know, God's creation right. may flourish, and that you may have life abundant. Yeah. I was just going to say, too, um, I think that this is this is certainly a Lent that I don't think any of us as Catholics will ever, ever forget, and, and probably no. not an Easter will, a season we'll ever forget right. either. Um, and I think, gosh, you know, what a what a rich tradition that we have to draw upon to to experience the Paschal mystery in, in a new way. Exactly. To um, you know, I even think about some of the. Uh, I mean, you know, certainly Lent Lent is full of the. I think the very we save the very best liturgical readings uh, of of the of the year. You know, I mean, just thinking about the 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 gospel of the last Sunday of the rise yeah. uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, and you know, you look mm-hmm. at a situation like that where. You know, we we look at how Jesus, you know, takes a situation where it seems like all has been lost, and and through his through his you know the through his spirit through God's love and grace um, allows for something new to be born or something new to to come forth um, in a mm-hmm. way that you know people are 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 you know really struggling, and so there's there's some really powerful lessons to be learned in the midst of this if we if we if we have ears to hear them. So, all right, um, yeah. yeah. And even to recognize that, that G, you know, when we're looking back at the reading from Sunday, that, that Jesus wept, you know, to just that sense of knowing that what's happening, what's, what's happening to us in the world right now and what is, is oftentimes happening to our planet, that to, to know that Jesus is weeping about that, you know, that because the love is so deep, and so it brings us to this place of vulnerability. And I think if we can embrace that vulnerability... We can see, um, we can see that new life can emerge from that. Thanks to the Sisters of Saint Joseph for their wonderful ministry. Let's close with a reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. We have daily masses from Saint James Chapel at the Quigley Center, and Sunday masses in English, Spanish, and Polish from Holy Name Cathedral. The Masses for Palm Sunday will be available at archchicago.org beginning at 4 o'clock Saturday afternoon. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Thanks for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 a.m. I'm Jim Dish for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Please make a special effort to make a few phone calls or jump on social media to reach out to friends and family this weekend. Stay safe, everyone. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.